Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to My Life Be Like. This next interview coming up is with David Butch. As I introduced David, I mentioned that he's going to talk a lot about what's happening with COVID and how his organization is working around COVID-19. As the interview progressed, however, I really felt like I wanted to steer clear away from COVID and not make it all about him and what the organization is doing to try to battle COVID as it relates to the healthcare industry in Pennsylvania. I just hope that these podcast opportunities are ways for people to distract themselves, and I didn't then want to make this all about what's happening with COVID and make it a COVID-specific conversation. So even though I do say up front that he's going to talk a lot about COVID, I steered clear of that as a topic and really focused on him, his opportunities, his journey, and what he's doing today in the organization from a macro perspective, as opposed to what the organization's doing to hear and focus on COVID. With that being the case, I really hope that you have a great time listening to this. I appreciate all the support. Listen in to my life. Yeah. My life be like. Welcome back to another episode of My Life Be Like, an interview series podcast with professionals. Today, I'm really excited to have um, a close family friend of mine, David Butch, in the podcast series. David is going to talk a little bit about himself, his education, what he's doing now in Pittsburgh, and um, a lot of how his company and him himself and his role are dealing with the current situation with COVID-19. So, David, I appreciate you being on the show, being on the podcast here. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, who you are, where you went to school, where you're from, where you are now, that kind of stuff, and we'll jump right into it. Yeah, sure. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, So, uh, like Shasha said, um, we're family friends from a little while back. Uh, My name is David Butch. I'm 33 years old. I uh, live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right now. I uh, was born in India uh, in the state of Gujarat and then moved over when I was five uh, with my parents to Chicago. Um, and that's kind of home base uh, in the U.S. for me. Um, as for uh, where I went to school, uh, it was all around Chicago. So I, uh, I was at Northwestern, uh, got a bachelor's of science in industrial engineering, and then uh, ended up getting a grad degree overseas at HEC Paris, which is a school just outside of Versailles. Um, and then I think uh, right now in, in Pennsylvania, I'm, I'm working for an integrated payer and provider. So that's basically uh, an insurance company and uh, a set of hospitals that are basically under the umbrella of one organization. Uh, and I do corporate strategy for them. Awesome. That's uh, a lot to go through, which is great. So you grew up in India. You Do you remember the transition from India? I mean, you said you were five years old, David. Do you remember what that was like? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have snapshots of, uh, of what it was like. I, I, I have these, like, um, they're just flashbacks and like snippets of images in a movie, if you will. Sure. Uh, I remember breaking my collarbone, uh, riding my bike in India. I remember getting yelled at a lot by the preschool teachers. Uh, that was a thing. Uh, For talking my, too much? My family why, did you get, why did you get so, yelled? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it, disrupting the class. And uh, apparently it was a big enough deal that uh, the rest of my family knew about it too. So they don't they don't kind of let me live that down. Oh, man. Um, funny, funny story uh, about that is that apparently I was so bad that I just went back to India this past December for a family wedding. Um, and I was flying out of... I was going to fly out of uh, Ahmedabad uh, as my international hub. And uh, my old pre-K teacher was living there and insisted on seeing me to see how I had turned out. Because apparently she remembered me after all these years. (laughs) Yeah. Like she called up my dad uh, because everybody knows everybody. And so she got my dad's number while he was in town. He, He calls me up saying, before you fly out tonight, I need you to go to this address, which is not creepy at all. But no um, way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That is incredible. Okay. So pre K yeah. is three or four years old. So you're talking about somebody who remembers how 
disobedient and troublesome you were 30 years ago telling yeah, them yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> way to yeah, leave I a know, lasting a impression yeah that's right i mean it, it could go both ways and the, my friends here wouldn't believe me so i i have a picture with that teacher and she would tell me she's like <laughs> i never forgot you i was like all right <laughs> that's incredible well i mean again i i guess it's better to be remembered than to be forgotten so that's exactly right no such thing least, as bad publicity yeah i guess at least all all press is good press so <clears throat> You made your, so your parents moved here when you were five, made your base in Chicago. Northwestern was for, you said, industrial engineering? Yep, industrial engineering. That, so was that the plan from, at what, so what age, at what age did it seem like engineering was going to be the plan? Middle school, uh, high school, or did that happen when you got to like, Northwestern? Like end of freshman year in college is okay. when that became the plan. Uh, sure. um, I think I think at a at a young age I went through the usual phases of what you what you wanted to be when you grow up. I uh, okay. I wanted to be a soccer player. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a diehard Arsenal fan. It's the family team. Uh, Shashwath knows this and he, he's well aware. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I knew Arsenal was going to get brought up at some point today. I just didn't know how late into the podcast we were going to wait to get to. Oh, no, we go go early. Um, but that's right. No, I, I so I played a lot of soccer and, and when I was younger, that's what I wanted to be. Um, as I got older, I don't, I can't, I think I had this fascination with architecture because we had to make these, uh, these like cardboard uh, replicas of your like living room, your bedroom, like, because they were trying to teach us geometry and shapes and stuff. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. so this is how you design what my house looks like. And I remember having a fascination with, with that for like a couple of years. And that's the only profession that I can think of that was like not sports stardom related. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, th I think I think that, yeah, that's, uh, it, Engineering and industrial engineering specifically was definitely not premeditated by any means. <laughs> okay. So architecture was something you were thinking about middle school, high school. Were there things that your parents wanted you to do or family pressures? I mean, well, I guess, you know, yeah, being, I think... being, from a, being from a similar family as yours, David, obviously we all sort of know what those are, but were there, were yeah. there specific things your parents wanted you to do when you grew up? Well, the interesting thing was, I, I think the pressure was probably a bit more explicit with my sister and okay. it didn't even really need to be pressure because, and I, I think we're just to clarify for whoever's listening. I mean, the, the expectation is either you're going to be an engineer or you're going to be a doctor, mm. uh, some version of accountant or finance. And then Gujaratis are also very well known to be uh, entrepreneurs or like start a business right. or something business like that. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So th this is what we're talking about. And in my case or my sister's case, uh, she's a doctor, she's an ER doc. Mm -hmm. Um, but they really didn't need to pressure her because she kind of found her own way there by watching the show ER. If, um, <laughs> if you remember that? Yeah. Cause George, cause George Clooney uh, was on that show though. That's exactly that he got, he got one of his big starts there. Um, and so uh, she would, she oh, was hooked. Man. And I only know this because when she owned the TV, uh, we only had one TV. When she, when she had the TV, I couldn't watch anything else. So I ended up watching yeah. with, this um, is your but she kind of found her. Yeah. This is my older yeah. sister. Um, and, uh, and she kind of just found her way there for me. I think, the unsaid expectation or implication was like I'd go down the medicine route, but I never mm -hmm. kind of I never kind of bought into that. Um, okay. And honestly, when I got to when I got to Northwestern, and I was kind of in that undecided phase, and I could see what the class load was to be pre med, um, I, I think part of me was like I'm not even sure if I could pull this off if I wanted sure. to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, so I think I think the pressure or implication was there, but my parents were pretty open about kind of letting me decide where my education kind of took me. So that's great. So outside of being a star striker for Arsenal, would you say that there was one specific thing you were thinking about being when you grew up? You said architecture. Was that something that was a serious thought when you were younger, or is it just sort of a passing phase that architecture was interesting? Yeah, I, I think it was it was passing, and it's okay. also. Um, as it, it was like the perfect storm of it lingering around uh, more than a passing thought for a couple of years, because it was also the time where 
we started doing Chicago field trips. Um, oh, sure. And, yep. uh, and I mean, you do the architecture boat tour and I do that still every time when I take anybody to visit <laughs> Chicago, like hands down and I'll go keep doing it myself, even if I've done it a bunch of times, uh, just so I could finish the tour guide sentences for them. Right. Um, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, like it, when I saw like, oh, this is what architecture is. Look at all these big buildings. Chicago obviously has some great architecture. I think that's what kind of made it be a little bit more than a passing thought, but never mm. had any uh, had any legs for the long term. Got it. So it was striker or bust, basically. Yeah, and at that time, Tier Henry had that job, so I don't think I was going to take it. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck taking uh, taking that guy's spot. Okay, so undecided, undeclared into Northwestern. You said for at the end of your freshman year, industrial engineering was the idea. How did yeah. that come about? Well, so uh, it was uh, starting, I did pre, I was undecided, but I was undecided in the engineering school. Got and the okay. reason I even, even narrowed myself uh, by picking the engineering school was that if I ever wanted to switch to any other school, the entry level courses I'd take that first year would, would were requirements for any other school at Northwestern sure. as well. So it was more of a practical, pragmatic decision that kept all my doors open. Um, and what they make you do that first year is they make you take classes in every discipline of engineering, all the entry level classes. Um, and by the time I got to the end of freshman year, I, I actually enjoyed my industrial engineering classes quite a bit. Um, and I think that's that's kind of how I narrowed it down, but I wasn't ready to let go of everything just yet. So I was double majoring for probably two quarters uh, mm -hmm. with industrial engineering and mechanical engineering before mm -hmm. I realized I was masochistic uh, and then <laughs> dro dro dropped my second major. And I was like, I have one's enough for me. Thanks. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. So, okay, so industrial engineering. So you graduate from Northwestern with a bachelor's in industrial engineering. Did you immediately start thinking about grad school or was there then sort of a time in between that and your grad school experience? No, no, yeah. So I um, so I'm, I'm, I graduated in 2009, so June of 2009. And, for, and if you remember, uh, the recruiting cycle for 2009 starts in the fall of 2008 which also happens to be uh, the worst global financial crisis, uh, excluding the last two months yeah. uh, <laughs> at the yeah. time. Um, it, was, it was a complete meltdown of the markets. Uh, Lehman went under, Bear Stearns went under. Um, you had all the investment banks turning into bank holding companies. Mm -hmm. um, there was no, uh, it, it was completely uncertain um, as, to, as to how it was gonna play out. So what ended up happening was, uh, you'd think Northwestern would have these career fairs where all these big names would show up to recruit that would be bringing in, you know, 15, 20, upwards of 30 jobs that they were recruiting for from this one campus. And all of these people basically show, showed up to show face. So they didn't burn the relationship, but there were maybe five or 10 jobs to go around per company, if that. Um, and so when I graduated in 2009, um, the Northwestern Engineering School had a placement rate of, I want to say, like 80% of folks had jobs uh, in a normal year. And I think uh, it was something closer to 40 or 50% the year I graduated. And I wow. was one of the folks that graduated without a job. Um, sure. So it was, it was brutal. Um, yeah. So I, uh, that's, a, that's an entry to say that um, I graduated in June and then for six months, I basically worked retail that totaled up 40 to 50 hours across uh, working at a clothing store and a soccer store uh, before I landed my first uh, quote unquote corporate gig in January okay. uh, of 2010. And that was a competitive intelligence role. Um, so it's basically uh, like hopped up uh, market research. Mm -hmm. So you do all your, all your, you'd get hired by a company that wants to ask a very strategic question. You then would go do your Google searching or <laughs> go through 10 Ks, 10 Qs, annual reports, um, you know, Lexus, Nexus, like you, you're yeah. basically scouring every database you have in front of you. But the twist was uh, we actually ended up doing primary research as well. Um, so we'd go to conferences and specifically target competitor companies um, sure. and speak to people that worked there or knew about it, like actually had that conversation, um, which was a very uh, unique way of 
doing market research and learned a lot of unique skills doing that. But um, I had that experience uh, before I decided to do grad school. Yeah. You were doing sort of competitive intelligence then in January. How did you go from industrial engineer to even applying for that type of role? How did that role even come about? I mean, my, so first of all, my, my hop from industrial engineering to competitive intelligence uh, was again, uh, not premeditated. I'm starting to notice yeah, sure. a theme in my own story. Uh, <laughs> but Well, I'm glad this is also uh, going to be educational for you too. So that's good. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was primarily, uh, I needed a job to pay loans and yeah. I will take whatever I can get at that point. Sure. And my days, my days look like uh, work a morning shift, uh, like eight to noon at one part-time job mm-hmm. and then noon to six at the second part-time job. And then between seven to 10, I would go on the Northwestern career website and crank out applications for anything I was remotely qualified for. Yeah. Um, and, and what happened was I think I applied to this uh, company and they, the person reviewing or so, like some connection, like six degrees of separation, um, the hiring manager actually knew somebody I'd interned for in the past. So that's how I got the interview. Um, and, and that's, and, and it clicked, it took six months, but I mean, uh, yeah, it was me just trying to hammer out applications for somebody to hire me. I was like, I'll figure out the rest of the career path later. Sure. Uh, I just need to pay loans. Um, sure. so. you know, it's interesting, David, I think people who don't go to big name, big 10 schools have this impression of everybody at Northwestern sort of coming, sort of coming out of Northwestern with a degree in hand and a job offering the other because you went to Northwestern. And well, it's, listen, clear, uh... <laughs> it's clearly the case that that's not true, but it's just, I think the impression of people who don't go to big name universities with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in endowment, just assume that that's how it is, but that's clearly not the case. Well, yeah, I, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that that's the mentality I had, right? And I was lucky to go to Northwestern for a lot of different reasons that allowed me right. to to go to a school like that, mm-hmm. um, uh, to to be able to attend financial uh, financial benefits and things like that that allowed right. me to get there. But right. when I went there, that like my thinking was at the very least, right? Um, if you had a elite name uh, school yeah, on, on your, your resume, resume yeah. that would that would give you a look. That would bring companies to campus even, right? Which was also some somewhat of an added benefit. So. Those that think that, I mean, I kind of f- fell into that bucket as well, but where I mm. think the logic needs to have a caveat or the thinking needs a caveat is that there are so many things that you cannot control um, yeah. about sure. about uh, leaving college. doesn't matter how good, like, listen, in 2008, you could have graduated from Yale, uh, yeah, Stanford, yeah, you know, sure. it, it doesn't matter anywhere, right? And the whole whole nation was going through it, so yeah. it was it was the great leveler. And for that same reason, I empathize a lot with the class of 2020. For um, sure, they're they are facing literally the same thing, um, although it's slightly different because I'm hearing a lot of the class of 2020 folks uh, their their offers are being uh, honored because, quite frankly, a lot of the like this is a quote unquote man made shutdown of the economy. Uh, right. And right. I want to be very crystal clear, man-made shutdown of the economy, not the virus. I'm not trying to spread any conspiracy theories here. Uh, but, um, Breaking news. But that, that's right. <laughs> but like for that, for, for that reason, I think uh, the class of 2020 may be better off if they had the job already. But if they didn't, right. they'll be in the it's same boat that I was. For sure. Yeah, exactly. So, But I, I, I think you're right on. I think there's a lot of people that think that yeah, uh, that big name school or whatever makes you invincible. Uh, it it definitely doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's definitely it's an interesting thought. So, competitive intelligence. You're working with this company after your first your first official job out of college was retail. You got this opportunity. How long did you stay there before you started to think, okay, grad school? Um. So I was there for two years to the day. Um, oh, wow. And I know that right. because, yeah, I know that because I'd made my mind up to leave like at 18 months, basically. Sure. Um, it was, it was, the work was very, 
Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Duplicity or uh, I've heard of mm-hmm. it, but it's uh, it's Clive Owen and, and they're trying to find the secret. Uh, two companies hire these two corporate spies and they try to find like the secret like hair growth formula from the other company or something. It's cr- like they basically uh, add the whole Hollywood aspect of competitive intelligence to it. But right. like that's generally the example that I give. So it's it's cool to say that like, yeah, I was asked to go. Uh, overseas to go monitor a conference where our competitor was going to launch something new, right? Okay. Try to get the scoop on that. Like, like all that stuff was cool and all, but it was also at some point, um, it was really taxing, right? Because a lot of the, a lot of the work was you're having a conversation like you and I are having, but I was having the conversation with a motive, right? Mm. So it would be a casual conversation, but I'd be dropping in questions here and there to try to get tidbits of information I needed while I was piecing a puzzle together in my mind of, am I sure. getting the information I need? What, what should my next question be? Like that kind of thing. And it's just, it's just a lot of, it's just exhausting and tiring. Um, and I kind of knew at 18 months that I wanted to get out. Um, and uh, I think what helped me decide to go to grad school was the job I wanted to get into was actually management consulting or strategy mm-hmm. consulting. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and for just a brief overview, these are guys like Bain, McKinsey, BCG, um, right. big consulting right. firms that get hired by Fortune 500 companies. They have like a big question like, should I launch this product? Should I enter this market? Uh, should I cut this product line? Or why are my profits dropping? And these guys come in and they do a bunch of analysis and then give you a bunch of recommendations on what you can do with your business. Um, yeah. It appealed to me because the competitive intelligence work I did, sometimes we'd turn in our research paper and we'd be on our way. Um, and other times they'd actually ask, ask us the, so what, um, what should I do with this research? Mm. Um, and, and those projects I enjoyed quite a bit. I'd be like, well, based on this, here's the recommendations. And so I was like, Hey, consulting seems like a great fit. Um, knocked on the doors of a few consulting firms and they basically told me didn't have enough experience, uh, to come in as an experienced hire because I only had two years of professional work experience. Um, I'm not coming in from MBA or undergrad because that's mm-hmm. where they mainly get most of their guys from. So like, mm-hmm. you're going to have to beef up your resume some other way. And uh, that's, that's basically what angled me into uh, a graduate degree. Got it. How did you end up in France? Yeah, so um, it, it, there's, there's a lot that uh, caused that to happen. One was um, I wanted to study abroad in undergrad, never got a chance to. Um, so it it was a personal growth motivation as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, at that time, uh, so my, my parents were still in Chicago. My sister is not living in Chicago. Um, and I'm living at home while this whole thought process is happening. Right. Uh, and ideally graduating college, you did not want to move back home, but (laughs) situation, uh, but as bad as it sounds for many of us, for many of us, that was the case. Yeah, that's right. So. So, well, years removed from it now, I realize it was the greatest thing ever. Like, she sure. made for you, ready to go, no rent. Like, <laughs> like what's not to like? Um, but back then, I was like, man, I wanted to live that city slicker lifestyle. So, uh, so I wasn't, I, I was um, I was looking, and my sister was uh, living in, I think, Michigan at that time. Um, and my thought process was, uh, my sister was going to match for a fellowship. And if my sister moved back to Chicago close to my parents, then I was going to apply to a set of schools. Mm-hmm. If my sister matched in any other city outside of Chicago, I was going to apply to another set of schools. Okay. And the, the difference between the two sets of schools were the first set, if she was nearby my parents, were all international. Uh, or actually, it was, it was uh, two international, two, uh, two local in the U.S., but not, not right. in Illinois. Yeah, right. not, not in Illinois. And then the other four, if she wasn't going to match in Chicago, were all in Illinois. Gotcha. Um, so that was that was how I like segmented it off. And then she ended up moving to Chicago. I applied to a set of schools, uh, the four uh, that I applied to. Uh, one was the one in Paris. And then um, I was in a fortunate position where I got into every every place that I applied, uh, which made the choice tough. But when I narrowed it down, um, in terms of just what was the best school for what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was in Phoenix and then the other one was in Paris and I found out they actually shared faculty and some of the same curriculum. And so at that point I was like, I no got to do the personal growth play. Yeah. I got to, I got to, I, I could have, 
I could have had a party like for a year in Phoenix and be completely comfortable. Um, you know, and I have family in Phoenix too. So that would have been great. Um, or if I was really trying to like push my comfort zone and get this degree, um, go somewhere where I didn't know anybody, didn't know the language, uh, very, very far away from, uh, my nearest family. Mm. Um, and so I basically just try to make myself as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Okay. Yeah. What, what did you go for? What was the idea? MBA, uh, uh, business, something no. or other? Yeah. Okay. It was, um, it was a very, very, this was, this was premeditated. I did not want to get an MBA from a school outside the United States because the U S is known for the best MBA programs in general. Um, so I wanted to go get, and I didn't want to stay out of the workforce for longer than a year. So I went for a master's of science in strategic management, which is basically a master's in strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they, this, this entire program was geared at churning out folks that would work in strategy or strategy consulting. And that's where I wanted to go. So, got it. and HEC, yeah. And HEC was as far as European, um, European schools go, uh, pretty, uh, pretty highly regarded school, uh, in yeah. Europe. So sure. uh, all the puzzle pieces kind of fit. That's awesome. That must've been a, just a phenomenal experience for you. Yeah, yeah. I uh I thoroughly regretted my decision <laughs> the first week I was there cuz I sure. was uh of course. uh I was I'm not allowed to cuss or anything like that, but I was I had the crap scared out of me the first week you're, I was there. You're allowed to say uh, whatever you want. This is your story. Yeah. You say Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I yeah, I was uh so uh I'll recant and say I was scared shitless when I got there the first week uh cuz uh, I couldn't, I didn't know how to communicate with people. I'm like, yeah, sure. you know, how do you ask for food and stuff? So, uh, the first week was terrifying and I thought I had made a pretty terrible mistake. Um, and then fast forward a year and a half later, um, I, I had, uh, you know, I'd welled up tears in my eyes at the airport when I was leaving cause I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Um, so it was, That's it was incredible. great. Okay. Uh, what year did you finish the master's program? Uh, that was 2013. So okay. um, the actual school part ended in like, like springtime, but then mm-hmm. you actually had to go work uh, for a few months to quote unquote validate the degree because sure. you had to have practical work experience. So yep. I actually ended up moving. Um, so the school itself is a little bit outside of Paris near Versailles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't tell you that when you apply. So uh, <laughs> shame on me for not using Google Maps. Uh, <laughs> But right. um, it was, seven, it was actually, seven or eight years ago. We we forgive you for yeah. That's so uh, the yeah. So um, I moved into the city proper um, and worked worked in Paris for a few months before. Um, so that was like what uh, June or July of 13. of 2013 when it was right. all said and done with the school. Awesome. So you moved back stateside. What was the first opportunity then that you? found once coming back from France. Actually, the, the I did not move back stateside. The road road got a bit more choppy. Yeah, uh, buddy. Uh, after <laughs> after after uh Paris. So, I moved from Paris to London for about uh like I think it was five and a half months, maybe okay. a, just a little bit longer than that. Uh, because uh, if you stay longer than six months as a U.S. citizen in, in London, you need a long stay visa, or you actually sure. need a visa. Yeah, Under right. six months, you're right, fine. Right. Visitor, um, yeah, tourist. Yeah, exactly. So, right. exactly. Um, so I moved in with my cousin in London for that time, and the goal was to find a job and get a visa to stay in Europe because I loved it there. And I now had a network of friends there that was rivaling the size of the people that I knew in Chicago, like outright. Sure. So it was, I mean, I was having a great time. Um, and then in, in that time, I was actually helping out some startups, um, like as a strategic advisor type thing, or kind of mm-hmm. helping them think through some things. Um, and that didn't pan out. So I, uh, I packed my bags and uh, started coming. I came back to Chicago. I was on the ground for maybe three weeks or four weeks. And I got a call from, an HEC alum that was also a Northwestern alum that lived in Doha, Qatar. Um, and he what? got my name through it. Yeah, he got my name through HEC. Um, and he's like, hey, I'm looking for an internal strategy guy. I need to launch a new product. 
Um, and I also need somebody that can help with uh, like internal process improvements and industrial engineering is, is a degree that you know, kind of focuses on that process optimization and a lot of other things. So it was kind of right up my alley and I had nothing in hand by way of job offers or income coming in. Um, and this guy was like, listen, I'll pay to fly you out there. And the way work contracts work, they basically put you up um, and they give you an allowance for food and then a salary, right? But the salary is a lot smaller in like the amount hitting your bank account because they're giving you so much other stuff. Right. So like those nuances didn't matter to me. I was like, well, hell, let's go. Um, so I was on the ground for three weeks and then flew right back out to Qatar uh, within a month of landing from London. <laughs> um, and so I went to Doha and I was in the Middle East for six months. Um, I did the project for them. They wanted to bring me in full time and I turned down uh, their offer because they were going to pay me in the local currency and yeah, the not in dollars. Just yep. <laughs> yeah, not in yep. dollars. And if your yep. loans are in dollars, uh, that's not going to work out. So yeah, no question. Um, so I was like, thanks, but no thanks. Right. Uh, and then I finally came back to the U S kind of like quote unquote for good um, yep. in the middle of 2014 um, back end of the summer of 2014. That that's just so, incredible yeah. that, I mean, the entire story from, Northwest leaving Northwestern until you came back from Doha is like what dreams and nightmares both are made of. If that's yeah, I mean yeah. in a nutshell, right? I'm I was flying by the seat of my pants uh yeah for a solid like three years. <laughs> but you've also in those three years have had experiences that people will never have, dream about having, and can only hope to have in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you had them before you were 25, 26? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I completely agree. I was very grateful. Yeah, um, that's phenomenal. For, for making. <laughs> um, I, I didn't, I obviously didn't know all the growth and all the reasons why I would go tell somebody to go do something like that now after going through, going, going through it and right. kind of wisening up. Uh, I didn't know all those things when I was going through it, right? Like I can look of back course. at it in hindsight, 2020. So I'm just, I'm just glad my young self made the dumb decision of like, yeah, let's go to a country where I don't know anything or anyone and see how that plays out. Like, yeah, and not just, not uh, just once, but a couple of times. Not just once, but a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was good. It was good. That's incredible. Okay, so you're back in 2014. You said so. You land again from Doha in 2014. At what yep. point did you get from Chicago to Pittsburgh? Uh, from me landing on the ground at Doha, um, I was in Pittsburgh permanently four weeks from that day to the day. Man, your um, life moves. Your life moves <laughs> faster than most people do. But I can't. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, it slows down a lot after that. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is fine. Which is fine. That, that's the part. That's the part people aren't excited about. I mean, just until now, yeah. it seems like this movie's been the movie's going pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um. So again, this was this was a lot of me kind of pulling the trigger on things um, as they were flying at me. I, I landed, and at this point, um, you know, did an internship. Um, did some startup work in London and then did a project based gig in, in Doha. And right. from a professional standpoint, I'm now just craving, like trying to build a career that's like a yeah. bit long. Yeah. So um, I get a call from uh, PNC, which is a mm -hmm. super regional bank based out of Pittsburgh. Um, and they have a internal strategy team that's looking to hire and and they they proactively reached out to me because I had put my resume up. Um, I you know clicked the thing on LinkedIn that said I'm looking, um, <laughs> like the whole thing. And uh, yeah, and uh, they 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 call me up, and I went from first call to offer in two weeks. I mean, I was actually interviewing at the same time with another company, um, and I was in second rounds when I did my final round at PNC, and they literally called me in 24 hours. And I kind of wanted to wait and see how the other company yeah, played out um, because it would have, the other company would have been a better starting position. It would have been in consulting directly that I wanted to get into. Um, there's a lot of good things about the other company, but 
part of me was like, I just can't let an actual career offer slip away. Right. Um, Cause who knows what happens in the final round of, sure. of that other interview. So sure. I kind of took it and, and that was it. That sort of bird in hand mentality, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That was exactly yeah. it. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. So PNC bank, we've got a position. Yep. You, you moved to Pittsburgh in 2014. How long did you stay at PNC before moving into the current role that you have? So I was there for three and a half years okay. at PNC and basically the way the gig works um, for any, uh, and I think I can make a pretty general statement that for most strategy organizations, if a company has a specific strategy organization, people that come into that team usually are there um, for a set amount of time before any yeah. one of the mm -hmm. internal lines of business will ask you to come over and, and, and be a part of the business no because question the strategy function is a shared function, right? You do projects here and there, but you keep right. moving to different people and different, right. different lines of business and somebody's going to like you and they pull you over. So yep. um, I did, I did the central strategy thing for about, um, I would say two and a half years, maybe a little bit longer. And then I got pulled into a line of business and I did that for the last year uh, before I left. Okay. So you left PNC and now you've landed. So from PNC, you landed at the current company you're at now, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I was actually okay. uh, from PNC. I wanted to come back. Um, if you think about it, from 2012 when I left to go to Paris, I had not lived in Chicago, and sure. and you, you can speak and it comes across. And as I'm talking about it, like I really like Chicago. Yeah, it's sure. home. Uh, I love the city. Um, you know, diehard Fourth sports team. fans. For, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So it had been since 2012, and now you're looking at 2017, 2018. Um, I wanted to come home. And so yep. uh, I wasn't actively applying, but I kind of like picked my head up to see what was out there. And before I knew it, um, the headhunter from the company that I'm at now calls me. Um, they were working with an outside firm and uh, they were just, they just wouldn't let up. Um, and, sure. you know, I, I like at, at one point just couldn't say no. So um, that was back in uh, actually 2018 May. So coming it'll be, it'll be years. two years. Yeah. And I think, yeah, coming up on two years. Yeah. Okay. So now you're at this company. What, what is the name of the organization that you currently work for? Uh, it's called Highmark Health. Um, Highmark Health. So okay. I, yeah, I mentioned earlier, um, Highmark Health is like an umbrella company and it has a few major lines of business underneath it, but the primary ones are, uh, it has an insurance, it's an insurance company. It's a, it's one of the, it's a blue Mm -hmm. uh, and then it also owns, uh, I believe, eight to nine hospitals in the Pittsburgh area, right. uh, Pittsburgh and surrounding right. areas. Yeah, so it, yeah. it's a common. Yeah, exactly. So it, it basically um, it has both sides of that equation. So got it. OK, what is your current job title? Uh, I am a strategy partner. Um, so I work within the office of the chief strategist at, um, at the organization. Okay. And that's, you got this position because the headhunter found you and was relentless, wouldn't basically let you say no. And so here. Yeah. You, are, you know, right? it's, it's, it's probably recruiting malpractice to be honest. Um, <laughs> Breaking news again. So, I love it. Uh, yeah. David just well, dropping bombs in this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I told them on multiple occasions that I had zero experience in the healthcare industry. Uh, just, <laughs> I, I was being very transparent, um, and I distinctly remember because they called me. I hadn't actually applied applied to the right. job, right. and I remember the hiring manager asking me, you know, why did you apply? Mm. And I was like, I didn't. I was very candid. I didn't. Uh, yeah. You guys called me, <laughs> which <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, and I think that's a lesson to be learned was that I was so not nervous in that interview because, quite frankly, right, I really wanted care. to go home. Yeah, so, like, sure. yeah, I was going through the motions at that point, yeah. and and I mean, there's something to be learned about that because I got I got the job uh, somehow. Sure. So, uh, but yeah, so that's that's uh, that's what basically happened in terms of awesome. them them really wanting some people to build out the team so so as a strategy partner for this sort of high higher umbrella organization in the healthcare industry what is your sort of day-to-day -day look like what are some of the day-to-day -day responsibilities that you might have to think about 
maybe COVID aside, I guess, right? Obviously, everybody's yeah, yeah, quite COVID focused. Um, let's say you know three think, months ago, what was your day to day? Yeah, I think um, day to day to day could. I mean, well, when you think about your usual uh, office job in terms of being in meetings and yeah. um, and you know, uh, I, I do do a lot of Excel and and PowerPoint to uh, present whatever. Yep. Uh, but yep. I think from a Story of our standpoint, in terms, yeah, that's right, right? It's yeah. a, a deck monkey. Uh, but oh, yeah. but uh, I think non like COVID aside, um, this was one of the reasons the role was interesting was that when I did strategy at PNC, we were down at what we call the business unit level, right? Which is you'd work on a very specific process within the company mm -hmm. somewhere where you work on a very specific product at a, within a line of business somewhere. Yep. Um, this gig, since your, since your department lead is actually sitting in the C-suite, all of the projects are, have enterprise implications. So it affects the entire 40,000 mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. uh, company. Uh, yep. And then the people asking for these projects are somebody else that's in the C-suite as well. Right. So, yeah, so it's, um, I mean, they're big projects. They have they have uh, they have a solid amount of implications in terms of the direction of the overall company. So that that's what interested me. So a couple like my projects would involve anything from, hey, we have an entire business unit that needs uh, some version of a turnaround, right? Like, what mm -hmm. should we go do? Mm -hmm. um, and that would be at the highest level of the question. Or there would be another question around, um, hey, uh, we need a new um, five-year strategy for. Uh, marketing, or we need a new right. five-year strategy for X, Y, Z. Sure. What should it What should it be? Right. Like these are, and then and then you basically have to set it up so that once you answer that question, you have to then give them what it looks like in the next year or so, so mm. somebody can actually go start doing it. So it's not just yep. a random idea in the cloud. Yeah. Um, which strategy actionable consultants? Yeah, strategy consultants and strategists uh, get blamed for that all the time, which is great PowerPoint slides, a lot of great ideas, yeah, no action. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. So um, there's that portion of it. So, the, uh, so, yeah, those are the kind of projects I worked on. I think um, I learned a lot about an industry I knew nothing about because we had one project that was an experience design overhaul, one that was looking at the guts of the technology, uh, of an insurance company or a hospital system, um, one that was looking at people uh, and processes in terms of how, how to run a company and HR and all that kind of stuff. So uh, a lot of different expo like a lot of different content or yeah. within the projects and internal exposure. You're basically, yeah, and and I think the biggest thing um, for me in the entire experience is the fact that I was probably the youngest guy in any one of my meetings. Mm. by 20 like years easy yeah multiple days. yeah like it's, yeah yeah exactly and so and you're listening to these execs talk about how they see the world i mean you can't buy that kind of an mba degree anymore. yeah no question um, like even, even if i'm just taking notes like the amount the amount you learn and i still learn on a day-to-day -day just by sitting in at this level and having them talk while i'm like just listening um you, you just can't pay for that kind of education yeah so. for sure i get that i get that in my life too and it's Definitely, as you said, not something that you can put a price tag on, which is tremendous. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you explain your job then to other people, right? When people are like, oh, David, so what are you up to these days? Is there an easy uh, way to explain to the quote-unquote uncles and aunties of the world who are like, hey, so what have you been doing? And you're saying what? I, I, I mean – basically as simple as I can make it. So I just help an insurance company and a health system provider uh, make business decisions. And I just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> any, anybody else that want to ask more, they can ask more. But quite frankly, uh, getting into detail is, is, That's is funny. pretty boring even when I talk yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I hear you. Your listeners are bored. <laughs> no, my listeners are definitely not going to be bored. They, they, had to through, they had to sit through the, the really fast part of this movie. So now... Now it's at yeah, least we're, right. we're coming, to that, coming to that point, which is good. Um, in your role yeah. as a strategy partner, what are some of the positives? What are some of the challenges that you face? I think um, the thing that uh, the challenge is that as a person in a strategy consulting firm or an internal strategy group, mm -hmm. and I use them 
somewhat interchangeably because we do a lot of projects that we would hire outside consultants right. for. Right. Um, but we are able to take them on because we're cheaper. We're in-house. You've right. already paid for us. For sure. The outside consultants are really expensive. Right. Um, but we still work with the outside consultants too at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest challenge is you don't actually own the decision, right? Sure. Um, you, you spend a lot of time and sometimes uh, so much time that you get smarter about the actual tiny problem that you're trying to fix. You, you sometimes get way smarter on that than the actual exec that kind of needs to make the overall call because you're spending so right. much time on it. Right. But at the end of the day, you don't own the decision, right? You can make the recommendation saying, hey, listen, I really genuinely think you should do X, Y, and Z. Um, and if for whatever reason, the exec, the exec may have some other things he's trying to reconcile and there's some other things, priorities, he may do, you know, ABC instead of X, Y, Z. And you're just like, that's a waste of all the work that I just did because that's not the right answer. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but who are you to tell them? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's that's the challenging part, and I think the way the way that they teach you to get around it, and you can always get better over time, is you learn how to influence without power, right? Right. Um, right. So you you find ways. Uh, to uh, you have no authority over folks uh, and you have to influence them to kind of move in the direction you need them to go. Um, But that is, I mean, it is a, uh, it is a struggle on every project and it won't go away. It's not something that just uh, you work at to go away. It is the fundamental like issue with not owning the final decision. For sure. That's the uh, leading the horse to the water, right? That's your job in a nutshell. And then, being able to figure out then what happens. Okay, so that's one of the primary challenges, which I think anybody who works in a large enough organization that has a strategy division or works with anybody in strategy yeah. can completely appreciate. Um, yeah, what, yeah. And so I think actually, now that I think about it, you probably alluded to the positive, right? In your role, especially because yeah. of how much access you get to the C-suite and so many years and years of experiences that these execs in the organization have had, which they're just sharing with you for free, basically. So you're getting an education while you're doing your job is probably the positive that you alluded to, I would say, is the biggest takeaway from your role, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm in a place where I'm not 100% nailed down to the fact that it will be the healthcare industry forever for me. Sure. Um, but even if that isn't the case, like some of the things that I learned that are applicable to any industry, right. um, like right. how, how do you do strategic messaging to your organization when you're trying to turn the entire aircraft carrier, if you will, For sure. how do you message at different, different levels of the organization so that the end output is exactly what you wanted it to be? Yeah. Um, what are the considerations, um, at the highest level when you're making a business decision? Cause you know, if, if you want a specific thing to go a certain way when you're dealing with a customer for that to happen, like at ground level in front of the customer, there's a million things you need to consider for that experience to come out exactly the way you want it to. Yeah. Um, no question. And yeah. And knowing how to manage that, all those layers and levels and stuff like that kind of stuff you can apply pretty much anywhere in any company. That's big. right. Right. That's phenomenal. Okay, how would you rate your work-life balance, David? It seems like obviously you're in a high visibility position. It seems like it's quite stressful at times. How's your work-life balance on a scale? You know what? I um, I would have to probably say like uh, six or seven and ten being great. Like, um, I I'd say, and I think it's because I know what the life is like of a of a consultant on the service side. So if you're working mm. at a McKinsey Bain or BCG, like um, on the road every day, maybe on yeah on Monday through yeah. Thursday on the road, um, you don't really get when you're at the hotel, you're not home, right? So right. And you're probably turning comments or working on a deck till like ten o'clock at night. For sure. Uh, most nights, maybe Room not every service, night. Hotel uh, bar, same old story. Yeah, yeah working, working weekends, like that kind of stuff. Uh, so I know that side of it. And I think the way, the, the reason why I think it's good here is that we have those, but we have peaks and valleys, right? Sure. Um, because of the high visibility, if somebody wants something Monday morning and the request is coming in Friday night, 
you will work the weekend and get it done. Yep. Um, yep. There's no way to say no. But yeah, there, there's no way to say no. And it's the, it's the Icarus effect, right? When you sure. fly so close to the sun, like that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, but it doesn't happen all the time, which is the benefit of it. Right. So sure. um, I've had, I've had times where I've had back to back to back fire drills or back to back to back really important projects that need to get out by a certain amount of time. But then I've also had pretty like low key weeks, a um, couple of weeks in a row. Right. And yeah. when you start taking the whole thing on an average, I can't really complain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can hear that. I think uh, we're, you know, just this last weekend, I was working on a statement of work on Sunday under a master services agreement. And they was like, what are you doing? And I said, it's, I mean, what what do you want me yeah. to do? I can't tell the VP yeah. or the SVP in this business unit that I would rather do what right now? Like, there's nothing on yeah. TV. I'm not going anywhere. I have no excuse but to get this work done. And so yeah, once, that's you right. fall, once you fall, once you fall into that trap of being available on the weekends, people definitely take advantage of that. So it's an unfortunate trap, but yeah. anybody who reports directly to the C level or SVP level understands that concern for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I and, and I do think that they try to do a good job of keeping an eye out for us. Yeah, but like you know, there's some some sometimes you just like you said can't can't avoid it. Right. Right. Okay. You, as a strategy partner, what is the title or who do you report to? Um, not the, not, you know, not who is it specifically, but what role do you report yeah, yeah, yeah. to? And then if you were to be up for a promotion, what would be, what would that look like? What are two steps down the road? Like what is the upward mobility sort of concept for somebody in your position? So it goes um, effectively uh, a director, VP, and then the chief strategist, right? Sure. Um, my next level, my next level up is probably going to be somewhere around the director level. Okay. Um, and so that's that's kind of um, that's kind of what the next step would look like. Um, right. And and then after that, like the next step after that would be VP. But yeah. your timelines to get to each progressive step after yeah, that yeah, yeah. takes longer. Yeah. And then you wonder because the next step after the VP is the chief strategist, so that's like yeah. a different ballgame altogether. Sure. How many how many directors are there? Is this a is this a unit that has a lot of directors? Uh, there's three directors right now. Okay. So yeah, there's not oh. there's not that many. Uh, actually, sorry, take that back. There's five directors, three under one VP, two under the mm -hmm. other. Got it. Um, and so there's not that many. Um, right. But. Uh, I think I think they do well. We'll see. I don't know what that means, but that sure. would be my next next step up. Sure. <laughs> sure. Are there a lot of strategy partners sort of in that same? You know, how many how many colleagues do you have with similar roles and titles? There's a, there's only about um, two or three or four of us. The entire department's about thirty thirty. Okay. Um, and the so entire unit. I, uh, yeah, the entire unit's about thirty twenty five thirty folks. Okay. Um, and I'm one of four, I want to say, I cool. think at my level, um, but sure. I'm, I would probably be considered like a strategy partner, heavy quote unquote. Yeah. 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 Just Senior from a user experience. Yeah, sure. exactly. So, um, uh, so that, that's probably where, where I'm at, okay. um, right now, but we'll, we'll see how it pans out. <laughs> Got it. How long do you think it would take before you were to be considered for directorship? So I think I'll they'll actually officially um, do like the whole senior thing. Yeah. Um, they don't that we don't have any senior strategy partners right now that I can think of. But mm -hmm. um, they'll create because they want to help people move upwards and show that you're moving upwards. Yeah. But if there isn't a like if there isn't a director level position, yeah. they're not going to make you got to create a role. Um, right? yeah. yeah. So I think I think I'm going to move into that middle level. And I'm probably not too far away from that in terms of awesome. the, whatever the HR switch needs to be. Right. Um, yeah. But I think the director level position is going to be at least, I'd say, another two, if not three years away. Okay. If you stay in Pittsburgh that long. That's exactly right. Like, I'm coming up on six years uh, this October, and that's five more than I initially thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds Listen. about right. That sounds about I was averaging six months. Yeah, I true. I was averaging six months a country. So. Yeah, you're, you're doing okay. You're doing okay. 
works. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's so. think a little bit sort of then retrospectively, sort of as you look back. Yeah. Are there individual people? We've talked a little bit about some of the incredible things that have happened and yeah. uh, the things you couldn't predict. Are there individual people that were influential that you would point out along your journey to get to where you are today? Outside, yeah, of, your, think, outside, uh, of, outside of your immediate family. Oh, well, <laughs> that's going to be, <laughs> I would say. Like I mean, that, I assume, the, I assume your answer was your parents and your sister. So outside of those three people, who else you got? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much credit I give my sister. Not kidding. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> well, but no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Man. I mean, because yeah, that's right. No, I uh, I would say I would say my par my parents are definitely big from a work ethic standpoint. No and that's a whole different story no story in and of itself. Um, but I think I'd have to say um, trying to think going back. Um, I had a I had a high school teacher once basically point blank tell me that um we, it was an ap it was an ap like chem class yep. or something yep. like that and um i still kind of in touch in touch with him not really but like he definitely provided a turning point where um i, I always refer to myself uh in high school as one of the dumb smart kids like sure. if you had like the top 15 kids i was probably 14 or 13 or something like that um and he basically, I, I got like a D on one of my tests, uh, like first test I had with this guy junior year. And um, he pulled me aside after class and he goes, listen, uh, you got this far, like by happenstance, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just, you didn't it, try it came hard. naturally. Yeah. yeah, you didn't try very hard. You fell into the position of getting good grades. Right. And he basically point blank told me, he goes, that's not going to cut it from this point forward. Interesting. And if you're going to go to a good school, they're going to mop the floor with you. Wow. Um, that? So uh, like he, he like did not sugarcoat anything. So uh, I was, I was sufficiently shell shocked after that conversation to be like, oh, did, did this guy just call me stupid or something? Yeah, really. Um, but, <laughs> but what I think he was very influential in saying that, you know, you can, you have some aptitude and, I, and I've learned over time that, even the amount of aptitude I have back then and the aptitude I have right now is not enough. Like it's not like I, uh, doesn't matter how intelligent or you think you are. Trust me. Uh, there is a lot more to learn. Uh, and, and the only reason you think you know a lot is because you don't know how much you don't know. Um, and, and that'll get made clear to you pretty quickly. And I think, um, I think what it did for me back then was, uh, basically say, uh, if you don't want to get, quote unquote, uh, have, have somebody mop the floor with you, you're going to need to put in a lot of hard work. And so I think I give that teacher a lot of credit for that. Um, I have Shout a, out to that guy. So, yeah. Right. And, and then I think you said not immediate family. So I'm going right. to, yep. I'm going to play, play the, <laughs> Go ahead. Go I'm going to play the technicality. Uh, I have, uh, as you know, I've, I have a lot of cousins. Uh, it's a pretty yep. big family. Um, and I am the youngest of all of my cousins. Sure. Um, and some of my older cousins, some of the guys that, that I'm kind of close to, they're very successful in their own individual fields. Right. Um, but aside from professional, um, just pro professional accomplishments, uh, in terms of, uh, how to be, um, you know, handling tough situations, keeping your pool under stress, uh, how to be a good person. Mm. Um, they each are have uh i've taken a little bit of pieces from all of them to kind of kind of learn from that and i think they're they've been very influential i i don't think uh i try as hard or am as motivated or ambitious if those cousins weren't there in front of me and i saw what they accomplished right sure. like that it was doable yeah. um leading, if they weren't there the front. I, well, yeah exactly and if, and if they weren't there I, i'm not sure if i even have the ambition or the goals that i have right now i'd be like man I mean, i'm doing okay like i'd yeah. probably be okay right <laughs> for sure so for sure Let, can um, I just ask, yeah. did, did your did your parents find out that you had a d on that test uh yes they did <laughs> not right when I got it. 
they found out they yeah. found out when uh yeah, I was when the say. card at the end of yeah, <laughs> semester sure. came out they're like what the hell happened here <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that uh, the, the shell shock feeling after that teacher told you that probably was nothing compared to the shell shock feeling of telling your parents you got a d on, on a yeah, test. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I try, it wasn't it wasn't good it actually it was so bad that um i kind of like Put myself in timeout without ever having the Good i just you. fast forwarded to feeling well crappy like i didn't want to tell them because i knew where this whole thing was so i hear you fast forward I hear you. I hear, knowing your parents i understand I yeah understand. so they didn't have to say much yeah uh, they would sure. just look at me and i'm like i know i'm gonna leave yeah. now yeah <laughs> Wait, no no dinner going to my room right yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> um so a couple a couple couple more questions here but as I wrap it up here David sure as you think about your overall sure. journey obviously you've done a lot of things are there any points where you would go back and consider changing or do you feel like the destiny is what it is had I not taken the road that I had taken I would have been anywhere else and I'm okay where I am you know um I think I think I probably have to go back to taking the job at PNC um, mm -hmm. that one like it was the bird in hand mentality for sure yeah um, I was definitely interviewing with for at least one other job but I think I was so paranoid about wanting a career and starting my career that I I'm I was taken at under market value for sure I can wow. look back at that and objectively say that like I got hosed uh, sure. in terms of my starting offer and position and everything. Like I can say that now, which kind of sets you back in terms of a starting spot. And I, and I'd like yeah, to think no that question. I've made that up through, through, you know, through performance and, and, and this job and all that kind of thing. Right. I made it back, but who knows where you could have been if I, if I was a little bit more patient, kind of let that offer slide and had more faith in myself that, um, something better would come down the line. And mm. I think back then, I think it was the fear of, not landing a better job or a job at all that caused me to say yes to the first thing that came down the pipe. Um, and I think that experience played a heavy role in me being pretty nonchalant about the interview sure. process for my current role. And right. it's going to still play a heavy role if there's ever a chance to search for a job down the line. Uh, I will not be coming at it from a standpoint of the first thing that comes across my plate, I have to say yes to. And I think, yeah. um, I've learned from it, but I think if I don't do that back then, uh, who knows, who knows where, where it goes after coming back from overseas. Yeah, that's interesting. And then it sort of takes a good transition into my last question, which is, as you think about sort of advice for the people listening or advice for yourself as a younger version of you, some of that, what you just said, I'm sure is exactly the advice you would give yourself as a younger individual or tell yeah. the listening audience so if you just want to sort of sum summarize your thoughts on what your advice is from your journey <clears throat> to yourself as a younger version of you and then also to the people listening who are either thinking about your job or thinking about changing careers or just thinking about getting into strategy consulting any of those opportunities here as they go forward what would you tell yourself first and then what would you tell the rest of the people out there yeah i think um to your point, like some of the stuff that I just said, but I would I would probably say something to the effect of um, I got lucky in that the younger version of me took the path that was more uncomfortable. But um, I think the, the cliche goes that growing is done um, outside the comfort zone. Mm. And so uh, one of the one of the things that's causing that caused me to want to leave Pittsburgh or that's causing me to be like, should, what should I be doing something else right now? is the fact that I was getting comfortable, right? Which is the yeah. exact opposite. Um, that's not healthy that like you right. can't get comfortable, but, um, but I think I was so used to being uncomfortable and I liked it because I learned something new, whether it was an experience, a skill or whatever. Um, I think having a heavy dose of being uncomfortable and trying to do things in your day-to-day -day life that your first gut reaction is no way. Like I, I don't like doing that at all. Right. Um, like catch yourself and say, should I give this a shot? Like what's the worst that could happen? Um, and I mean, within reason, right? Like somebody offers up, let's go take an improv class. I'm like, no, no, thanks. I just don't like yeah, public yeah, speaking. Yeah. <laughs> like 
well, give it a shot, right? Like, cause you're right. going to be uncomfortable and you have nothing to lose and who knows the type of confidence you get on the other side of that. Um, so I think that would be a pretty big takeaway. I think the other one is we didn't touch on it in the conversation, but um, I worked uh, retail clothing stores from me being uh, in high school uh, all the way to some time overlapping with like an actual corporate job. Right. Um, and the that combined with um, just the culture in the Indian community about um, interacting with people and being good with people, being empathetic and having that emotional intelligence, right? Um, there, There is no substitute, don't care, and I've seen it in my career here, don't care how good you are at your job, don't care if you're batting a thousand at whatever it is that you do, um, and it's everything is people-based and everything is a people business. There aren't certain, some may index more on it, like sales or something like that, but make no mistake, any position, any job, any company, there's people involved in it, the people For business. Sure. Um, and you're not, you're not going to go very far in today's economy and job market. Uh, if you do not have empathy or emotional intelligence, don't care how technically gifted you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not, it's not going to take you very far. Um, or it'll stall you for sure if you've gotten, right. you know, you'll plateau out. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I think that's, those are two pretty big ones. And then I think um, I'm trying to th- there's one um, outside the growth and, and the emotional intelligence piece. I think what I've learned through work is that it's really, um, and this is more nuanced to me, maybe, I don't know, but um, when you get praised for work, right? Um, it's always good to get praised for work. Like, you know, it's great when somebody says, Hey, great job. That was awesome. Right. Yep. Um, of course. But I find myself, uh, really examining the praise, right. From a standpoint of you will decide what your bar is. Right. And if your bar is set at a certain level, right. You can objectively say that you didn't hit that level and somebody else still praises you because they haven't seen anything as good as that or they haven't, you know, they do genuinely think it's good. You have to know where to place that praise. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and and say that, great, I'm glad I was able to help this person out or this person appreciated what I did. But know when you can do better uh, and push yourself to do better because the only person holding yourself accountable then at that point becomes you and your and your internal self-talk because everybody from the outside just told you you did great. Yep. So if you're going to use the outside world as a benchmark, uh, you may be leaving a lot on the table in terms of how much more you could possibly do. So, you know, um, take the praise, you know, bank it, uh, feel good about it, but also, also ask uh, what takes it to the next level. Um, because I think that's, that's how genuinely you move up in your career or whichever direction you want to go. Phenomenal. Let's end it right there. Cause I think those three things are really excellent takeaways, phenomenal advice. Um, I want to thank David for his time today, for being a guest on this podcast. I'm sure David would be available um, as all my guests are usually available. If anybody has questions for him or wants to know more about what he's got going on, and you can definitely reach out to me. I will connect you. Um, David, I want to, again, tell you how much I appreciate your time. I thought this was great. Best of luck to yeah. you and to all my listeners. Um, you know, of course, stay home, stay safe. For all of all those of us who work in the healthcare industry, on uh, in the front lines or otherwise, we implore you to do that because otherwise we can't get back to work, and we really would like to do that ASAP. So, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay home, stay safe. This was My Life, Be Like. Take care.